Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you guys. We have our resident energy expert, David Blackman. David, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to talk to you. There's something new this week in your title, and I wanted to be the first to announce it on our show that you have uh, been uh, promoted into a different position with the magazine, and you are now the editor of the magazine so congratulations hey thank you appreciate it well you know we're excited because now we know that we're going to really get some not that it was a problem before but just gives you a, a a wider playing field and a lot more opportunity for um for the radio show to bring back some really great content pieces that the uh, magazine has been working on and 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 speaking of the magazine you guys are getting ready for a brand new issue March, April. So tell me a little bit about who's on the cover. Well, the cover uh, this this month is uh, uh, about partially energy, really dynamic, growing, uh, exciting, actually, uh, producer out in the Permian Basin. The, the company's only not quite 10 years old at this point uh, and has grown from an operator of about 30 to 40 uh, oil wells out there in the Permian Basin to a multi-billion dollar enterprise with uh, corporate headquarters in Austin and a big uh, production office out in Midland. Um, we're going to be uh, profiling its current CEO, the founder of the company, Brian Sheffield, uh, and the fellow who's going to be transitioning into the CEO role over the next year, Matthew Gallagher, uh, who will be taking the reins of the CEO job in January 2019 when Brian uh, moves into a permanent uh, chairman of the board role at the company. So it's uh, this is a company that is has just grown by leaps and bounds. I'm not sure I've ever seen such rapid, massive growth in a company over such a short period of time. And uh, and it's a, it's a really great story to tell. It's really been uh, fun working on this particular piece. Well, I know that, um, you know, in the past when I was a part of the publication as well and very involved in it, we we did cover on his father, uh, Scott right. Shepard. Scott, Scott yeah. Shepard. And uh, what a dynamic family. And, and I do remember his son, Brian, you know, just being tickled that his dad was on the cover. And then now who would have known, you know, two years later, he's on the cover and so I think I will be getting another call from from his grandmother <laughs> saying, <laughs> make sure you send me a, about 10 magazines because uh, they're a very tight-knit family. Just it, It's great that you guys are able to uh, focus on a great family. And obviously, oil, it must be in their blood or <laughs> in their yeah, DNA. Yeah, it's, it's an oil and gas family uh, from, from the grandfather uh, now through Brian. Uh, it's an amazing story of continuity and uh, and creativity, frankly, really creative thinking, and uh, and that's why part of why it's a big part of why it's such a fun story to tell, just how differently they built this business than uh, many of the other companies uh, that I've observed over the years. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it and uh, read the story for myself. I, I do want to switch gears. You guys have another story, uh, Beth. 
uh, ever age, a smart policy analyst at HBW Resources. Um, and I guess that article is going to talk a little bit about EPA. Tell me a little bit about um, what that story is all about. Well, it's about the ozone regulations. Uh, it's about uh, the EPA's ozone requirements and uh, maximum uh, content of ozone in the in the air in major cities across the country. And San Antonio has had a, has been teetering on the brink of non-attainment uh, of the ozone standard here for about 20 years. And uh, with the standard uh, about to be reduced, even uh, uh, yet again, down to 70 parts per million now. Uh, there is a possibility San Antonio could fall into non-attainment, and this piece is a really good uh, analysis of what that would mean to the city of San Antonio, businesses that are in the city, and uh, the kinds of measures that you have to go through to get yourself back into attainment. Um, a lot of cities have been through this. Houston went through it 20 years ago and and now has a, a fantastic uh, record on, on attainment under the standard, and uh, Dallas has been through it. Uh, Austin has not been through it yet, but probably will be someday soon. And so it's just the kind of thing that in these big cities, when you have a lot of automobile traffic, a lot of industry around, uh, you end up uh, with, you know, sometimes a, a problem with, with these standards. And a big part of it, too, is San Antonio has just grown so rapidly over the last 20 years. It's amazing how fast the city's growing and uh and that always creates issues around this, too. So it's, it's just a really good piece, hopefully, to give the readers an understanding of what could happen and why, uh, if, if that day does come. Well, and, you know, we had Diane Rath, who is with AGCOG, and we had uh, Chris uh, Ashcroft, who is with um, Steer, on the show, I guess, about a month ago. We were talking about um, the report that came out, how the city was placed in attainment and what that looked like and why. And uh, it was a very interesting show discussing, you know, how the oil and gas uh, business itself has actually been, of their own workings, has actually lowered their admissions. And, and those are not the problems. It's, it's you know, in these cities, people think it's oil and gas. It's not. It's no. your cars. It's yeah. It's it's everything but oil and gas. And yet it's oil dry and gas. Cleaners. Yeah. Dry cleaners are a big part of it, amazingly enough. I mean, it's. The cows. Uh, what yeah. are you going to do with the cows? You know, so well, yeah, it's livestock. It's it's emissions from from restaurant kitchens, and you know, I mean, it's just all you you just don't. It's things you don't wouldn't think about necessarily. Exactly. But somehow or another, the oil and gas gets the black eye for it. And and the truth of the matter is, and the most important thing to me was on the show was to demonstrate you don't want this, folks, because it costs. It's it's a higher cost of doing business once this happens, but. You can't put it at the feet of oil and gas. You have to really stop listening to all of the chatter out there and really focus. So I'm glad that Shale is covering what it looks like. Uh, moving on, Leslie Shockley Byer, the president of PISA. We've had you guys, we've had her on the cover, Shell Magazine. She's a strong, dynamic woman. In that article, you guys are talking about a strong program for the oil and gas leasing that they're specifically talking about federal offshore. Yeah. And looking at a five-year plan uh, with the Trump administration, talk to me about that. What is what's going on with that article? Yeah, so so leasing for oil and gas development in the offshore, in the in the waters that are uh, regulated by the federal government in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Pacific coast, uh, is governed by a five-year planning process. And the Trump administration uh, came out with a new plan for leasing in January. And uh, Leslie uh, has written a really good analysis of of 
the areas that would be subject to leasing uh, are available for leasing. It's a little known reality that only about 15% of federal waters owned by the United States uh, have been available for leasing over the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, this plan proposes to open up really big areas off the Atlantic and Pacific coasts that have been off limits to leasing for about almost 30 years now. So um, it's been fairly controversial, uh, but as with everything else with this administration, it's aggressive and it's pro-energy and uh, it's just a big part of the, the administration's goals of reviving the oil and gas industry in this country. And so it's, it's a really good piece that Leslie's done and uh, be well worth a read. Excellent. Well, along with a new title, Mr. Editor of Shell Magazine, we also, you guys have a new feature. You guys also have a new feature called Shell Play Roundup. Tell me quickly yeah. about what is this all about? Well, we, you know, we, we, we want to uh, at least have uh, uh, an update on, you know, just important current events that are happening in each of the shell plays around the country. This is a, it's a, it's a piece that's about, 1,100 words long that uh, just features short, brief synopses of what's happening in the major plays around the country, uh, like the Haynesville and the Marcellus, the Bakken, DJ Basin in Denver, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it just, it's going to be something we're going to do in every issue from now on so that, uh, you know, people get an update. And just if we don't have a feature story covering certain basins, at least they get an update, a brief update on, on the important things that are going on in each area. And, you know, David, one, that is such a great feature because the magazine is such an easy read. It is really designed for everybody. But, you know, when you're sitting at dinner and the topic of energy comes up, most people look like the deer in the head, like, like please, please, please don't talk to me about that because I, I know very little. I don't quite understand it. This is the publication that's going to give you the 411, if you will, on getting information on what's happening oil and gas related all over the United States. That's what we. That's what this magazine specializes in. And, you know, your readers can just go and pick up uh, or get a free copy, a digital copy online. All they have to do is just visit shellmag.com and sign up uh, to receive the latest issue of Shell and start getting educated in the area of oil and gas. But that is all the time that we have to talk about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. We do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong serving independence, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. 
Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today for the whole show is David Blackman, our newly named editor of Shell Magazine, as well as our resident energy expert for In the Oil Patch. David, before the break, we were talking everything pertaining to Shell Magazine and the latest issue uh, coming out and who's on the cover. But I do want to switch gears and get into some politics. This is, uh, right now, there's a lot of chatter going on about um, the Texas primaries and early voting. And I want to get into that because uh, this is important. Um, Tell me why voters should be prepared to vote, why we need to get out and vote, and who are some more really important races to be watching? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, in a lot of states, the midterm year, when the, the off year when the, the, there's not a presidential election or kind of boring elections. But in Texas, that's when we elect all of our statewide offices, the governor, lieutenant governor, all the, you know, uh, ag commissioner and the railroad, uh, one of the railroad commissioners is up every two years. All of our state house of representative offices are up. Half of the state senators are up. Uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, United States Senator is running for re-election against Beto O'Rourke, and all the members of the House of Representatives in Washington are up for re-election. So it's uh, in Texas, the, the midterm elections are big elections for us, and and the primaries are uh, the election day is March 6th, but the uh, early voting period opened uh, this past Monday, and it runs through this coming Friday. So you have a two-week early voting period, and and it, you know it gives you a lot of time to to study up on, on who your state representative happens to be and your state senator, because a lot of us don't know that. Uh, if you go to the Texas Secretary of State's website, you can find all that information on you know, who your representative is, how to register to vote, where your polling place is, et cetera, et cetera. And the statewide races here in Texas, you know, for, for the state offices that Republicans have won now every statewide office uh, every four years since 1994 was the last time any Democrat won a statewide office in Texas. Uh, unfortunately for the Democratic Party, they're, they're not putting up a very strong slate of candidates this year. So it does look as if probably the Republicans will win all these offices again, but that doesn't mean people shouldn't go out and vote. You know, uh, you have this right. It's a precious right. And, and regardless of who you think may win, it's, it's, uh, it's really important. To, to get out and, and, you know, do your civic duty and cast your vote. Uh, I urge everybody, everybody to do that. 
Well, you're right, because in a lot of countries, of course, um, they don't get these options to vote. They get told. And so, but more importantly, I I do want to talk about a couple of um, candidates that are up as well. They are friends to the show. They are always here to talk to us and give us information. And um, uh, Will Hurd's district, uh, Congressman Will Hurd, uh, he's up for election. Um, And, you know, I want to, I don't want to try to tell a listener who they should vote for but congressman Hurd has been on the show over and over and over and he's talked about how his past history as an ex-cia agent really gives some expertise in an area that we really need congress to have which is cyber security and cyber attacks and all these things and so i do encourage all the listeners um to uh if you're in this district to get uh, informed on who are the candidates and, um, you know, just kind of uh, get brushed up on what Will Hurd brings to the table. And then our other congressman is uh, out of Houston, Baytown, and that would be Congressman Babin, who is also uh, very vocal in, in D.C. and um, very informative to the show of things that he's pushing. Um, and I just think that as, uh, you know, when we look and see that if we want a strong state, uh, that has plenty of jobs and um, a good economy. Most of this is based off of having a good oil and gas uh, sector. And so typically the Republicans tend to line up with a lot of oil and gas initiatives and see the importance of energy. So do your research. Can I can I say one thing about, about that? Sure. Without formal endorsement i will say that in my former life i was a lobbyist and a government affairs professional and i've dealt with hundreds of members of congress uh, over the last 25 years and there is no more impressive person no more intelligent person no more focused and dedicated person that i ever dealt with in the united states congress than will hurt and that's a that's a true statement and i won't tell anybody how to vote but i will tell you that the people of his district are extremely well represented. Oh, yes. And, you know, they are so lucky to have him. And then, you know, when on the other side is, and I'm not trying to endorse either, I just know these gentlemen very well because they, they've they been on the show numerous times. And, you know, Congressman Babin is actually a doctor, so, you know, an MD. So, you know, he is definitely very intelligent and uh, can really think about the big picture so that's kind of, uh, you know, what I'm leaning towards is do your research. Do please get out there and vote um, and make sure that you have your voice heard. And I want to switch gears just a little bit and get on uh, the Trump administration and, uh, of course, the whole special counsel investigation. Uh, I'm a little lost. Can you get us up to speed on what's happening currently uh, in D.C. pertaining to this? Well, you know, uh, the special counsel has over the last uh, week now uh, issued several indictments. He indicted 13 Russian individuals and three Russian entities, companies, uh, for, you know, uh, I guess, well, it's just really hard for me to make out what they did other than establish a bunch of fake social media accounts in Facebook and Twitter and, you know, send out some tweets uh, trying to tell people, you know, to support uh, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, uh, and just basically meddle with the with voters' minds. And then they also staged some fake rallies. Uh, most of the money they spent, which wasn't a whole lot of money, over uh, 
just a little over a million dollars total spend when you compare it to the presidential campaigns together spent $1.5 billion. Uh, it's a drop in the bucket. And most of the money was actually spent after the elections, staging fake rallies, uh, both against Trump and for Trump. So it's it's weird. And then he, uh, he also in, in, uh, issued new indictments of Paul Manafort um, uh, on Thursday, uh, which alleged a bunch of money laundering operations and uh, uh, failing to register as a, a foreign lobbyist, things like that, uh, which are just kind of piling on previous indictments of Mr. Manafort and one of his partners. And uh, so it's all, you know, it's it's all this stuff. It's, it makes a lot of noise. It really has nothing to do with the president, nothing to do with the Trump campaign colluding with the Russians in any way. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just a very strange thing, but that's just how these processes uh, work. And in the meantime, millions and millions of dollars are being spent for this investigation on Russian uh, operatives that will never come back and stand a day of trial. Yeah. So now we kind of know where we are with the special counsel investigation. <laughs> we sure do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, David. Well, with that, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Oilfield experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And we're back. Our guest today, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, before the break, we were uh, talking a little bit about the special counsel investigation, and I want to move into some of the industry's current events. We have uh, t- two senators, uh, Senator Cruz and uh, Corn, um, and they both are uh, creating some legislation or focusing on the renewable fuel standards for ethanol. And so I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, what is it? Tell me a little bit about what it is, and then what are the differences between the two senators' plans, and what are they pushing? Yeah. Well, so so what it is is pretty much the worst public policy in the United States of America that requires uh, refiners to blend ethanol that's made from corn uh, and has for about the last 15 years required refiners to blend uh, 10% ethanol into your gasoline that you put into your automobile and it increases the the cost of your gasoline, increases costs for the refiners, and uh, it doesn't really do anything to clear the air. The, The Congress or the EPA asked Congress in uh, the early 2000s to pass this standard uh, to require ethanol. They call it an oxygenator of fuel, and it supposedly reduces haze and supposedly reduces ozone, but the science is very hazy and doesn't really demonstrate that. But anyway, it's become an institution now in America, uh, mainly because the Archer Daniels Midland Company has an incredibly effective lobby in Washington, and Iowa corn farmers are the biggest producers of corn in America. And when you think about how we nominate our presidents uh, in the presidential primaries in each party, the Iowa caucuses are the first event oh, yes. in nominating your mm-hmm. presidential candidate. So every presidential candidate, even Donald Trump, goes to Iowa and they say, oh, we love the RFS, we love corn ethanol. We're never going to do anything to get rid of it. And so this has become basically a permanent feature of our society, even though it's a horrible policy. So that was, you know, a long way around. It's as short as I can explain it. And then Senator Cruz and Senator Cornyn are trying to find 
uh, get to an agreement or get to a way to modify this RFS so that it doesn't have such a negative impact on independent refiners. Uh, one independent refiner in Pennsylvania declared bankruptcy in January because the cost of obtaining ethanol had become so high for them, and it, it just throws their finances out of whack. Um, uh, Senator Cruz wants to put a cap on, on the price that you have to pay for this ethanol. Senator Cornyn has a more market-based approach that he believes will reduce the cost of ethanol over time. And so it's just this interesting situation where you have the two senators from Texas, which of course is home to about 40% of the nation's refining capacity, uh, kind of fighting it out there in the, in the United States Senate to see which plan moves forward. So uh, it's, uh, it's a shame they have to spend their time on it, frankly. I wish they could just go repeal the thing, but that's just not going to happen. Well, for the benefit of Texas refineries, of course, but then there's also on the other side uh, the corn farmers. But you would think with um, all of the famine in other countries, it might be an option to, instead of putting it in our fuel tanks, maybe we have countries purchase it and, and it feeds a population of, of, you know, a population of children and they're not starving. Yeah, that does seem to be a lot more sensible thing to do with the corn, doesn't it? But, it does. Uh, but no, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> We're going to keep doing um, crazy things. Okay, so yeah. on another topic, the Energy Information Administration issued a report, and it predicts that shale oil production in the U.S. could peak as early as 2022. Uh, so how can it be peaking in just four years from now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, you know, I, I don't think the this projection is correct. And when you really look, at, at what the EIA issued, they issued a, a study that had three different cases. And so, uh, you know, economists, when they, when they run these models, you know, they do what they call a base case, which is what they believe are the most likely assumptions on how the market's going to behave uh, for the next 20 or 30. Actually, they project through 2050 in this study. Um, then they run a, a low supply case in which there's really not as much oil as, as we currently think there is, or as the EIA currently says there is. And then they run a high production case in which there's a lot more oil than they think it is. And in that high production case, which quite honestly, I think is the most likely case, I think EIA systematically underestimates reserves in the ground, uh, it doesn't peak until 2050, which sounds like a much more reasonable assumption to me. But uh, but the, the part that made news was, well, it's going to be peak oil in 2022, and that's what Bloomberg and the Associated Press and Borders all pick up. And so it becomes this this big story. Oh, my God, we're going to have a peak, peak shale oil in 2022. No, we're not. No, we're not. Uh, <laughs> Don't panic. Any, yeah, uh, I'm going to be long dead before that happens. Right. Frankly. Environmentalists yeah. know that's not going to work. Good try, but right. it's not going to work. Okay. Well, with that being said, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, I want to get on a fascinating topic, which is what's going on in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. You are listening to In the Wool Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. Managers, bosses, supervisors. Hey, flu season is here. Don't let the flu bug bite your employees. Banish sick days and keep your workforce strong, healthy, and productive with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. 
Trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 866-334-2485. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry service, supply, and manufacturing organizations advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. And we're back. Our guest today is David Blackman, editor of Shell Magazine. Uh, David, before the break, I wanted to uh, get on the topic of um, Saudi Arabia. Some very, very, very interesting things are happening in the Middle East. And uh, so I want to really get into uh, the specifics of it. Um, so uh, Muhammad bin Salman, the 32, he's a 32-year-old crown prince who is effectively running the country now. Um, and that's, that's pretty astounding. Um, and he's implementing all sorts of reforms relating to social policies and energy policies. Uh, talk about some of the things that are going on over there and how this liberalization, <clears throat> sorry, hang on, liberalization of Saudi society could ultimately impact us in the United States. Well, it is. It's it's kind of an amazing thing to, to watch from, from a distance. He, he's, uh, as you say, very young and he's very ambitious. Um, he, he's got a lot of interesting ideas. I mean, part of what he's doing, and which is, is really wonderful, is he's, he's actually granting rights to, to women that women in Saudi society have not had, like being able to actually drive a car, uh, being able to actually go out into society without being accompanied by their husbands, um, being able to own a business, things like that. That, uh, that we take for granted. That is yeah, just that, amazing. Yeah, but it's just in Saudi society, the, the women have been denied those kinds of what we just consider to be, you know, basic fundamental rights in America. So he's liberalizing things in that way. And uh, he has, um, you know, rounded up a bunch of uh, bad actors in the royal family, cousins, a whole bunch of cousins that he's uh, rounded up and uh, is putting on trial and, and and confiscating large parts of their fortune uh, to put into the, the country's reserves and uh, help fund social programs. And uh, he is also embarking on this ambitious plan to diversify the country's power sector, uh, which of course has been, you know, for the last 70 years entirely based on oil because that's what the country produces. And he's, trying to transform a substantial portion anyway of, of the, their country's energy mix uh, into things like nuclear power. He's, he's uh, become very aggressive trying to obtain nuclear technology um, and solar and wind power renewables. Um, how far he can go with that is, is to me a, uh, you know, he has re real ambitious goals, you know, ultimately wanting to get to even 100% renewables in 50 years or something like that. But when you consider that the country's virtually their entire national economy is, is based on the production and sale of crude oil, it's kind of hard to see how he can obtain that particular goal. But in any event, 
anything happening in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, you know, does have potential ramifications here in the United States. Uh, these things that he is he's doing are all probably positive for us. I think it brings the the more Saudi Arabia is brought into the modern world, uh, the more it liberalizes uh, human rights. I think the more it will be inclined to become a more reliable ally to the United States uh, and and less reliable to Russia or or China, our main competitors across the globe. Um, so so it's it's you know it's kind of the opposite of what happened in in Iran back in the late 70s where you had a very liberalized society modern society that was taken over by religious fanatics and has has remained under their thumb ever since uh, this is going the opposite direction and that can only i think in the long run be a positive for for the free world you know i i couldn't agree with you more when you look at the uh 32 year old prince who's a millennial by our standards and wanting to liberalize uh, the women's society. And it's no secret that, you know, I am a fan of Women's Energy Network. (laughs) I am a fan of that group, and it is a very awesome group. And and this is some of the things that they also focus on, is how do you embrace women and and get them, you know, in the right places, especially in the energy sector, and to see um, this uh, crown prince moving in that direction where women can actually drive a car now. It just seems so foreign to me, but yet... Uh, it, it it's it's necessary. What does this mean? Quickly, we, we're running out of time here. What does this mean for oil prices, though? Uh, you know, does Saudi have the ability to change oil prices uh, yep. worldwide? Okay, how and in what way? Well, I mean, I think it means, you know, they need, uh, he stated his goal is $70 oil for the print price, which would equate to about $65 West Texas intermediate price. We're pretty close to that now. Uh, I just think that they're, they're, his need for all money to fund all of these reforms just makes it more and more likely that they will continue to to press OPEC and Russia to extend their export limitation agreement to ensure the market is balanced. And that just has the effect of, of creating stronger oil prices. So I think that part of it is a real positive for the oil markets as well. Well, one question that I have, though, on that is, so if they're cutting back, but um, United States producers um, are continuing to put the pedal to the metal if the numbers are right, um, do we have uh, any worry there pertaining to overproducing once again? No, because uh, demand for oil is is increasing very rapidly all over the world, Um, uh, particularly in India, China. Japan, the Pacific Rim countries, the developing nations of Africa and South America, anywhere anywhere where you have developing economies, uh, they are going to be have a heavy demand for crude oil and natural gas to, in their power generation sector because those are the most abundant and cheapest ways to provide energy to their populations and to fuel their economies. So demand is far outstripping any any increase in production the United States is going to come up with. And as long as, as OPEC and Russia uh, maintain good compliance with their limitation agreement, the, the market's going to remain balanced. In fact, we could end a year with, a, with an actual shortage of oil if, if everything stays uh, static with that agreement. Well, David, with that, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, I want to get back on the topic of Saudi Arabia and talking specifically about Saudi Aramco Uh, and its mission uh, potentially here on uh, obtaining an IPO. 
But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch, and we'll be right back. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. Our guest today is David Blackman, editor of Shell Magazine. David, we've been talking about Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and how a lot of things are changing. One of the things that the Crown Prince Solomon is attempting to do is also take Saudi Aramco public uh, and uh, receiving an IPO for uh, the Saudi Aramco. And I'm trying to talk to me a little bit about what does that look like and are there any major impacts for the industry here in the United States? Yeah, well, potentially. I, here's what's so amazing about Saudi Aramco is, is that that company, if, if you assume its reserves, current reserves, have a value of $63 a barrel, that is a $2 trillion company, okay? And uh, the IPO would only be for 5% of, of, its, of its asset base, so, which would make it 5% of that company's value would make it a $100 billion IPO offering. And so they're going to offer stock at a specific price to, to basically fund 5% of their operations. And uh, that, that should happen at uh, some point this year. Uh, the timing keeps getting pushed back, though, so, so who really knows? But uh, in any event, you know, it, they're taking 5% of the company public. Uh, people will be able, be able to buy stock in that company. Uh, does it impact the U.S. industry? I, you know, I probably not to any major extent other than uh, if you assume that some of the investment, that $100 billion investment uh, in that IPO, um, is going to come out of capital that would have otherwise been invested in U.S. companies, then yeah, I mean it could could have some impact to companies' bottom lines bottom lines here in the United States, but it's not anything any real major huge impact to, on the U.S. industry. Definitely, very interesting things happen in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I do want to switch gears and bring us back home, closer to home. You know, oil prices seem to have stabilized this week. Uh, and then they're even kind of heading upward, if you will, but it's been pretty volatile for the past two weeks. Are there some factors um, that seem to be um, causing this or what's turning all this up and down and around? Yeah, no, it's, it, it was a real good week for the oil price. We did have a, a lot of ups, ups and downs the previous two weeks, uh, just at the same time the stock market was going through all of its volatility. And then you see, you know, the stock market stabilized and suddenly the oil price stabilized. Um, a big part of what happened this week with oil was uh, the inventory reports on crude inventories here in the United States had a, a huge drop in crude oil inventories here in the U.S., which is a is a sign, you know, that the market is currently undersupplied. And, you know, when you have that, that big signal, it, the price typically tends to go up, even though we also at the same time have the dollar actually getting stronger and that 
generally uh, takes the price downward, but the, the inventories outweighed the stronger dollar, and then uh, we had good movement in price. Now we're almost up to $62, $63 again, which is a pretty healthy price for crude. Now, another interesting thing, though, is that the rig count seemed to have stabilized, and according to drilling info, the, the count even dropped, um, the count dropped this past week, but my question is, does it mean that the industry pretty much um, has added all the rigs that they're going to for this year? Um, what does this mean that the rig count is stabilized, but yet it's dropping? Well, I think I think probably we're getting to the point here where uh, yeah, I, I think we'll still have some increase in the rig count over the, the next few months. But really, for the first half of the year, it's not going to go a lot higher than this. And... Uh, the second half of the year, you know, all these companies reassess their budgets mid-year. Uh, along about April, they do a, a reassessment of their budgets for the second half of the year. And if we have a real strong crude price in April, then you might see some more uh, increase in the rig count over the second half of the year. But but I think, you know, where we're at right now today is not gonna, not much lower than where we're going to be at the end of this year. So it's 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 going to grow probably a little bit, but not a whole lot more. Interesting. And what the heck is going on with natural gas? Because I would have <laughs> thought we had such a cold winter. It's still going on. Um, and I would have thought that prices would have gone up just a little bit. But instead, it actually dropped in December. What's up? What is going on? Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're really sucking wind on the. <laughs> it seems like not nothing good. will bring up the price of natural yeah. gas. It is again. It's just like I mean, it's just I've been saying for the last three years. There's just so much natural gas, and every time the price goes up a little bit, you you know, we just activate a few more rigs in the industry and drill the price back down. Uh, you know, it, it has been a cold winter. The inventory uh, storage has been below the five-year average consistently throughout the winter, but uh, there's just so much supply chasing not enough demand, and uh, it's just hard to see what changes that equation. I mean, even though we have this huge boom in chemical building, you know, plant and equipment here in the United States, huge boom in manufacturing, new manufacturing, you know, all that uses more natural gas, but uh, we just have so much of it. Uh, it's just supply keeps outstripping demand and, and there goes the price interesting and isn't there a whole lot of exporting going on as well oh yeah yeah and that's going to keep growing you know it's going to grow very rapidly over the next two years um, maybe that'll help some I, I sure hope so well what i like is we're selling uh to countries that um we have a great alliance with and um and have have an opportunity to actually open up that market so as we see new companies coming online uh, Chenier and other uh, natural gas companies for really exporting it. It's, it's an interesting time we're living in because typically you weren't seeing a whole lot. And all of a sudden, within the last five years, the United States is just exploding with oil and gas um, all over the place and worldwide. So, yeah, it's a great new business. It is. And it's a great time to be in the oil and gas business. And it's a great time to work in the oil and gas business. And it's just a, it's actually a lot of fun too. I mean, there's a lot of exciting things happening, a lot of moving parts happening very quickly you and i you know we we love our job jumping on the mics and talking about what's going on because it is just so interesting at the time we're living pertaining to oil and it hasn't always been this way but unfortunately with that we are at the end of the show david thank you for being a guest once again and we look forward to catching up with you next week when you can give us more of an update on what's happening in the area of oil and gas and politics 
great. I can't wait. That's all the time we have. But be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show. Or follow us on Twitter at Shell Mag. If you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash In the Oil Patch Radio Show or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.